You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. All right. The the production value of the show is rapidly dropping. I know. I can hear it dropping. <laughs> Do I sound different? Yeah, all of a sudden you did. Like it sounded like it dropped out for a second. Oh God, that's great. Well, Uh, okay, now it sounds better. I think it was just once again. I think you shifted positions. I did. Shit around. What you're not allowed to do is turn your head at the at the very least. Not at all. You just have to stay totally motionless. (laughs) I'm going to hold this position for the next however many minutes. Exactly. That's that's what we need out of you. Yeah, you, you don't invest in podcast equipment because it'll just fail you like everything else in this world. <laughs> Let that be a lesson, kids. Everything's terrible. Then you die. Welcome to the Sneaky Good Podcast. Poser, that's Dan. Nothing's working right now, but we're still going to try and muddle through because that's how much we care about you. We're back, you back, listener. back to your regular scheduled programming. That's right. I took a week off, so it was acceptable. So my, uh, so my child could have a, a CT scan, which was great fun. I recommend it highly. Um, if you, if you have a chance to take your child in for a CT scan, I, I highly recommend it. <laughs> Call your uh, favorite nothing. medical professional and see if you can get one scheduled tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, because there's nothing stressful about that. Um, also, if you're going to go to the hospital with uh, a small child, um, make sure you bring both the mother and both grandmothers because that that's a joy. <laughs> <laughs> there is certainly no jockeying for position there. <laughs> I'm assuming it all just went smoothly and you had no conflicts. No one was stressed <laughs> or tense or <laughs> – Absolutely. Actually, um, there was a little bit of uh, uh, the the night after. So we had the scan on Monday. We were waiting for results on Tuesday. It was the first time I had truly gotten drunk with my mother as we sat down with a bottle of Jameson and just started doing shots of Irish whiskey. That, not ironically, I totally recommend. Um, if you want to do shots of whiskey with uh, with my mom, it's a good call. Um, you should do it with your own mother. But Irish whiskey is a is a great truth serum. So, well, congratulations! You've graduated to like every Chicago born child. Yeah, no, because my I, like my mom will drink wine in front of me. I mean, like you know, we're from Louisiana, but. And so she'll get drunk, but we've never actually like just sat down with a bottle with the actual stated purpose yeah, of the getting express drunk. purpose of drunkenness. <laughs> so, but everything's okay. So I'm, I'm in a much better mood this week than I was last week, which is why I wasn't here. And but you did a fabulous job. Did you listen to it? <laughs> I listened to like five minutes. I'm sorry, I, I didn't listen to the whole thing. Oh I God! Listen. I wanted to hear how it sounded without you know with just you. So. 
but <sighs> rambling incoherent nonsense. So pretty much the same. So really, you were just horning in on my game. <laughs> rambling incoherent nonsense is <laughs> that that's my brand. I don't even really remember what I talked about. Uh, but I did remember at the end that because I didn't re-listen to it. Uh, I remember at the end that I had referenced like, oh, well, I'll talk about this more later. And then I never did. So I was pissed about that. You know, and that's why we write stuff down to a very tight schedule. Well, we're very uh, well-produced <laughs> and constructed program here. It really is. We're going to blame our producer for any of the problems. Yeah, he's an asshole. <laughs> he totally. <laughs> but we've we've made it through Bama week. I missed out on Bama week. It is now Arkansas week. <laughs> but I guess before we talk about Arkansas, I guess we should talk about Bama. I guess so. I, this is, uh, this will be a spirited discussion, I think. Uh, I don't know. I just think I'm approaching it differently than everyone else. Um, yeah, I guess it's not really spirited. I, yeah, I think no, we I just mean, look at it differently. I think people are just completely misinterpreting my point. So, and I don't really have the energy to care about it. Um, look, I mean, it, it's look. I'm actually looking at a tweet right now from you know Ross Dellinger. You know, he's talking about the you know the the coach O show, someone called it and say, this is the first loss in LSU history that I don't feel bad about. And I do think that was the attitude like, Hey, let's not feel bad about losing the Bama. And there were some positives. I think in the first half LSU was the better team. I, I think LSU had a good game plan. They, um, I think they were on an even playing field. They looked just as talented. And I think LSU was, you know, move the ball a lot better. I think they were the better team Yet they were down fourteen to three. Yeah, that was unfortunate. Yeah, so I mean, I think they were unlucky to be down fourteen to three, and I think at that point they came out back in the second half and just they didn't vary much. They didn't vary the game plan really at all, other than to add in more runs. They did throw the wildcat once, which you know resulted in a big play. But I think this was a team that, by and large, was content to lose by lose by a, a, a fair margin. I think that they played Alabama as if we were equals. And the mentality is right because I think they are equals. I think they showed in the first half they were just as good. But Bama was never going to crack. You just weren't going to come back with that game plan in the second half. Yeah, I think that's where I disagree. I, I didn't feel like they went into like a shell or played to – not lose no, or whatever. I, I don't think they went into a shell. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying is they didn't take huge chances to win. And I think in order to win that game, they had to take huge radical chances and understand that they were a vastly inferior team. And they didn't do that. Yeah, I guess. I mean, I guess if from your perspective, you're saying like they should have dropped Etling 50 more times and let him pass it all night. Yeah, no, I, I and and lost by 30. Yeah, yeah. I think that's what – uh, and that's exactly what would have happened. I, I'm I'm not arguing they would have won the game that way. I think they would have lost very, very badly. But I think when you're the worst team, throw caution to the wind. Yeah, I think that uh, it's an interesting proposition. I think there is some merit to what they were trying to do because they were trying to keep true balance, which is really what a lot of teams do well that upset Bama. Um. And I had a buddy over who's a not a huge college football fan, but he's a football fan. He's 
he watches the NFL a lot. Um, and he was kind of dumbfounded that we didn't throw more because he was like, I mean, a lot of our runs would get stonewalled, just like basically everyone that tries to run against Alabama. Like no one ever has a good rushing average against Alabama. Even teams that end up with a lot of rushing yards, it's just because they carried the ball a ton. Uh, unless maybe like Johnny Manziel, because he was kind of yeah. his own little animal. But um, I don't know. I mean, we know that Edling's not a guy that you can drop back a ton. I think the running game worked pretty well. It no, was, I mean, uh, what you had a uh, um, one back one for eighty, the other one for seventy. I think that's about right. They yeah. combined one fifty. I mean, and a also, lot of that was a big run. But also, look, Edling. Uh, but the thing is, uh, Geist didn't have a big run. He never had a run over ten yards, so his eighty yards were pretty honest. Yeah, he was sliding away. Um, you know, he didn't have any big gainers, but he wasn't getting knocked back at the line of scrimmage. You know, it was two yard gains yep. and look, they can, they converted almost 50% of their third downs. The intermediate pass game, which is normally Etling's biggest problem was kind of working and in passing downs. Like yeah. he, he had a lot of third and sixes, third and sevens. Yeah. I and think- you know, he was, it, it was weird because Etling failed us in a different way than he normally fails us. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think, so I've seen the – you brought up the, – the starting point here was you saying like people don't feel bad about the loss. So I I don't agree with that. Like I do feel bad about it. It sucks, um, especially because it basically likely eliminates LSU from a New Year's Six Bowl. And from a bigger college football perspective, it ruins sort of chaos season, which would have been a it lot does. of fun. Um, I agree because I'm not rooting for Auburn to you know be the the no. instigator of chaos. No, and you know like right now chaos is like Georgia beats Alabama to go to the playoff. You know like that's not that fun. Like okay, cool, but um, so I I think I take encouragement just from like it felt like our lines played a lot better against Alabama than they have in the last few years. And it seemed like there were plays to be had that weren't had. And I know like Mike the Tiger on. <laughs> on the comments has like taken up the, the mantle for being like, well, there's always been plays, but I don't, I don't really agree with him in that perspective. Like we had 125 yards of offense last year. And by halftime, it was like, we were done. Like we weren't going to do anything. Last year was more, they were clinging. They, they were still in the game. Cause remember yes. Bama could score. It was more like you were clinging on for dear life. Yeah. And that was like, maybe something will pop and we'll just yeah. get one, you know, and uh, I, I get it. This game was more like, and I do mean this, I think LSU outplayed Alabama in the first half. We had more yards. I think they were moving the ball up and down the field. It was basically Alabama had two or three good plays, and it resulted in 14 points. It's just not, we talk about it all the time, but like that day, and Billy has mentioned it a lot, like you can't make mistakes against that team. And It it was amazing because it was three and out, three and out, three and out. Eight yard, you know, eight plays, eighty yards, touchdown, three and out, interception, touchdown. Like yep. it was just like that. It was they either did nothing or they did everything. And uh, Bama was the inconsistent team that looked like they, you know, it, to put it in perspective of last, they were the team that was just holding on, just waiting for the dam to break, and then the dam actually broke. Um, it, I, I don't want to make it sound like Bama is, is lucky because they're not. They're a really good team. But at the same time, they were lucky to be up 14 to 3. Yeah, I, you know, I went into this game and I talked about it on the show last week was that like 
I think Bama's good. I think they are limited, and but I don't think we were the team to expose them for being limited. Uh, Georgia probably is, or some of these other teams that have really, really stout run defenses. Though our run defense played – That was the amazing thing. Admirably. Like the, the reason I thought we didn't really have much of a chance in this game is that I thought Bama was just going to run down LSU's throats. Yeah, I thought, I thought it would be a slog, but I thought they would eventually have like 300 yards rushing. And LSU won that, that matchup. The LSU run defense absolutely dominated the Alabama rush de- offense, which – and this is something I kind of pointed out earlier is like, look, Bama has these really great gaudy stats, but they've run them up against some terrible teams. Yep. So you you don't know how for real they are. And I don't want to say that LSU exposed Bama, but if you're Georgia, who's a legitimately great team, you have to be looking at this game tape and feeling pretty good about yourself. Yeah, exactly. Even like Auburn, because Auburn has a, a fairly strong defense. And yeah, I think there's upset potential there. I mean, I, I don't think – State, it's nice that they get them at home, but I feel like this happens to State all the time where it's like, oh, they look like a pretty good team, and then they just get thumped by Alabama. Yeah, I don't think Nick Fitzgerald is going to be able to stretch. But here's the thing is like um, we talk – Jalen – in in one way, Jalen Hurts beat LSU. Yes. And this was – it kind of put him into the Heisman conversation as an outside you know, dark horse contender. On the flip side, he had a terrible game. I know. I said that was going to happen on the show, too. I was like, this Danielson and them are going to fucking hype him up to be a Heisman winner for, like, all these soft skills, even though he's not going to play well. And and that's the weird thing. He had two good plays, but those are the two good plays that mattered. Yeah, that's true. And, you know, he had that. And also, one of his best play of the game was a terrible decision. He he threw a ball that should have been intercepted. Mm -hmm. He threw it into quadruple coverage. (laughs) And it worked out. And that's Alabama in a nutshell. But Hertz, he really did not have a good game. And then he had two, you know, two really big plays, which accounted for almost all of his yards. And of course, that's those are the two scores. Yeah, and his, that's his mobility was the difference. I mean, like if if Atling could run like Hertz, this might have been a different game. Yeah, I, I think so because like if you look at their passing stats, Etling and Hertz were pretty close, and LSU fans are not that pleased with Etling this week. <laughs> no, <laughs> I, I, look, they both completed under fifty percent of their passes. They both, you know, were under two hundred yards passing on over twenty attempts. I, I mean, <laughs> these were not good performances, but it was really these, you know, it's big play swing games and. Bama connected on those big plays, and LSU uh, Etling had Chark three or four times. Yes, and you can blame Chark for one, maybe two of those, but all four of them, you can blame Etling. Like it's when we're assigning percentage of blame, there, you know, there, there's two that might be fifty fifty, but there's two that were just Etling. Yeah, like Seth did a really good job with his his breakdown today. Um, and obviously, everyone knows, like, big plays, downfield passing plays, you don't expect to hit 100% of those. They're, no, no, no. They're risky throws. They're difficult for all number of reasons. But, man, it was kind of painful to be, you know, a couple of those ones that Chark is just, like, behind everyone. And he could have walked yeah, into the end zone. And it just was underthrown. The one, the first one that was underthrown, 
that really could have been interference on my, on Micah Fitzpatrick. He, he ran Chark over and Chark didn't make a meal out of it. And what that's and also the referees were kind of letting them play. Um, it was early. We didn't know how they were going to officiate the game at that point. But I mean, you could have gotten a break out of that is what I'm saying. You could have had like yeah. a big, play, a, a big play. Just he underthrew the ball. But it still could have been one of those under throws that leads to an interference. It's something we've done well this year too. I feel like that's happened a handful of times where Chark has slowed up and yeah. But I, I mean, I, I think they could have thrown the flag. I don't think that doesn't mean they should have. I think at the end of the day, considering how they would call the game overall, it was a good no call. But I don't think Alabama would have had any grounds to complain had they thrown the flag. It was pretty fifty fifty. Yeah, I agree. And I do, I think the only one that I was really – I think Shark did lose that one in the end zone because his pace was all over the place. Yep, yep. The one where it, he didn't really know which way to turn. Yep. But we don't know how the play was drawn up. No, I think – was that, that's the one Etling said like he lost in the lights or something, right? Yeah, like yeah, that's the one where he kind of hung you know, Shark out the drive. But I think Shark also said that like because also you could tell because he kind of varied his speeds. Mm-hmm. You know? And that's kind of the telltale sign of a receiver who doesn't know where the ball is. But it could have been that the ball was supposed to be in a place and it wasn't there. You know, this is just a totally random – like it's – I noticed earlier this week that DJ Chark does not have a receiving touchdown this year, which is unfortunate because um, I feel like he's played really well. Yeah. And he's become an all-purpose threat, so that's great. Um, and I think he'll still get drafted high for – you know he's a he's a specimen, but it sucks that we don't have a quarterback with a really strong arm that can just sort of throw the ball fifty yards and let Chark run under yeah. it. You know <laughs> because I feel like he's the perfect player for that. Yeah, I, he had so many. There were so many. Just if one of those connects, like you look at him, the thing I know you don't expect to connect on all of them, but he was open on all four of those. Yes, it wasn't like Etling was just forcing the ball. He made the right read. The guy was open. You gotta hit. You gotta hit at least two of those. Yeah, when he's open, and yeah. I, I think that's the. I mean, that's the difference. Hertz made the big play, and also his receivers bailed him out. That huge pass play he made. I don't know who made the catch, but that was a spectacular catch. He overthrew his receiver, and he went up and got the ball. Yep, for sure. And, and so, I mean, that doesn't mean it's Chark's fault because Etling completely underthrew. It's a lot easier to catch the ball on an overthrow and there's no one there than on an underthrow and you have to, you know, run through coverage, but still shark, you want him to bail him out at least once. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that, I, I mean, and I, I tweeted about that too, after the game. And I, I think you hit on it too. in your piece, like you can almost deal with Atling being sort of middling if you have this great wide receiver core, but those guys just have not really risen up to be great. <laughs> And, and the thing is, they look they look good. If you had a really good quarterback, I think they would all be producing. Yes, exactly. So it's like you you can have one or the other, but you can't have both. And we have right. Both. It's a chicken and the egg kind of thing, and they're just kind of dragging each other down. Like that, there was one at length throw that was it was a little high, but it was actually I thought a really good throw. And D Anderson just has to catch it. Yeah, yeah, D Anderson uh, sideline yeah, he, throw. Like he's six six. Like you got to catch that man. That's why you were brought here. And and, and so. I mean, I think the big thing is in the second half, LSU just never got back in the game that uh, that 14 to three lead just it just stayed at two touchdowns. And LSU had no idea how to cut into the lead. And 
they weren't willing to do really crazy shit to try, <laughs> to try and to try and cut into it. And I can't blame them for that because also I do think the team comes out of this in a good mental place. And I think the emotional state of the team has kind of been a theme of the season. Yeah. Yeah. And I think they come out of this thinking they're just as good as Bama. You know, they lost by two scores, but I think they come out of it saying, Hey, we can play with those guys. We should beat the team left on our schedule. And I, I think there is some value to that. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah. Like I, I think had they, you know, you know, damn the torpedoes and went crazy and then, you know, Etling throws four picks and they lose by 30. I think that could have had long-term devastating consequences for this team. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm riding the, the line of it. Cause I mean, I don't, I don't feel like they gave up. Um, no, no, I don't think the players gave up. I, I, and, I don't and think I, the coaches did either. I don't think that they like, I think they were trying things. They tried yeah, some no, big, I, deep shots. They they pulled out the wildcat in the second half. So I, I think it was more is that they just never changed. They never accepted that Bama was the much better team. If that makes any sense, they they never played like a huge underdog. I guess one of the. I mean, if you're looking at, I'm just thinking of this from a coaching perspective. You go into halftime and your Canada's in the booth. He's watching all these guys run free. Yeah. What do you change? Yeah. You're probably like, I, we don't really need to make that many adjustments. Like it's yeah, working. And that's, yeah. You're like, this is working. We should have more points. And also they were moving the football. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't like, like, oh, we were, you know, sitting on like 35 yards or something. I mean, I would have, I mean, I would have liked them to try and score after they got the first down on that last drive of the second, of the second quarter. Yeah. It was 14-3, to three, and I know everyone points out they had the ball at the 6. Yes, that's why they ran the ball three times. But then they got a first down, and they're at the 20, and there's still a minute left. Yeah, that was the most conservative that's I think decision got of the a, night. Yeah, I think that's – you at least give it, a, you know, give it a run. But they, you know, they just ran two plays and just ran out, the, ran out the clock. Yeah, that was definitely one of those – ones where you could see them thinking like we're in not terrible shape and a, a bad mistake here is a bad, bad mistake. And I think they were in much worse shape than they thought. I think 14 to three at the half against Alabama, you're dead. Yeah. yeah and and I, I think they never truly realized the severity of the situation until it was too late. But again, if you're seeing all these guys running open, you're thinking yeah. we're going to get points. It's, you know, we're not going to keep missing these opportunities kind of thing. Yeah, which is kind of why I was like, why not try run a couple of things in the you know when when there's a minute left. Once yeah. you got that that you know that first down, the offense is moving, got a little bit of confidence. You're gonna get the ball to start the second half. I mean, you don't have to go totally crazy, but you know, there's something to be said for maybe taking a shot. I think for me, the you know end of the day, it felt and. So I am fully aware that I am just bringing my own perspective to this and others on the side have totally disagreed and been like, this game was never close. We didn't have any chance, blah, blah, blah. And that's fine. If that's, you know, I could see why you think that way. I know the score wasn't close. I'm not an idiot. Um, but because we were moving the ball, because we had guys open, that's what gives me optimism. Um, and so I look at it and just think just something like in Seth's piece today, he highlighted a run play early in the game that ended up getting stuffed for no yards, but it was basically Brumfield pulled and did the wrong thing. Yeah. And, I don't, you know, I don't if, he, 
if Brumfield pulls and hits the right guy, that run play turns into a 10, 15-yard gain. Okay, that's just 15 yards, but it also sets up your offense for more things, you know, and it, suddenly that's a successful play. It's not one that they smothered. And also and, you're supposed to run the ball early even if you don't succeed because it's setting up that run in the fourth quarter. Right. I'm just saying, like, it, it felt to me like – a game where one or two, three plays go the other way, and it's a different game. Yeah, and it I agree hasn't with that. really felt like that in a couple of years. I mean, last I totally year was close on the scoreboard, but I totally agree with that. I just think all the plays happened in the second quarter. Yeah, it, <laughs> it happened early on. That's kind of my thing. Is like I think it was a game that was decided by about three plays. It's just that all those plays happened early. Yeah, and you know that's just that's just random. You know. That doesn't mean anything that – and look, you know, it's kind of a point I made. It's like LSU won the box score. They lost the game. They were always down – they were always down fairly big the entire game. And it wasn't like they were playing as if they were deep in the hole. Like there wasn't score effects on the yardage, Yeah, if that makes any sense. No, it wasn't like, oh, they're down, so they're throwing the ball and they're getting a bunch of cheap yards. No, it was still contested the whole way through and both teams were playing it. They were playing it as if it was a tie game. Yeah, that's for sure. And and so I do agree that there's a lot of encouraging things going forward because I think the offensive line had perhaps their best game of the season. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, I know they gave up four sacks, but Alabama can they can rush the passer. A little yeah, that's going to happen. <laughs> and also, I don't think all the sacks were on them. No, I don't think so either. It didn't feel like I'm trying to remember them all, but it didn't feel like the floodgates were open like some of those early yeah, games. I, I, I was worried going into this game that Atling was going to get killed. Yeah, you and Podcat. And instead, he was—he had a fairly clean po- pocket the entire night. He, he was able to get the ball out. Yeah, I mean, he was rushed on occasion, but Bam is good. That's going to happen. Yep. Any good team also get, get to your quarterback at some point. On the other side of the ball, I think our run defense had by far their best game of the season. And that's something I was completely unexpected. They had shown no signs that they could do that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, because at least the offensive line had shown some inklings of coming together. The run defense, that was an out-of-nowhere delight. Yeah, uh, so Randall's the man. Uh, there were some definite things to move forward. And, you know, one of the biggest factors in this game, again, was the other team's special teams just become great against us. Yeah, it does happen. Alabama's punter averaged over 51 yards a punt. And on the season, he averages 41. That's that's unbelievable. Isn't he like a previous all-conference punter? Yeah, uh, but he's had a pretty meh, meh year. And then all of a sudden, he's he was great against us. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's kind of the LSU curse, is that Alabama takes LSU – more seriously than any of his other opponents. Hey, didn't they change? I thought I saw a comment from Shark or someone saying they changed their punting strategy like midway through the game, which is interesting. Really? Yeah, I thought he was saying like basically all week what they had prepped for was that he kicked low and hard and tried to get distance, you know, just longer kicks. Yeah. And then at some point in the middle of the game, I feel like he said they just opted for him to start skying them. And Chark was like, I'm, we haven't played a single punter that could sky the ball like that. Like, it would just hang up forever, which was making it difficult to field because it was hard to see in the lights. And then, yeah. And then also, like, you know, Chark had, you know, a good return, but there was a block in the back. Yep. 
and, and you know, it's that kind of game. So, and also, I, I think the block in the back was a good call. I, it was. It's what sprung. It's what sprung the return. So it's hard to be mad about that, but it's one of those things where it's just like you finally get the big play, only it comes back. It was like payback for the Auburn one that we kind of got away with the block in the back that sprung him for the touchdown. Yeah, yeah, a little bit. I don't know what you're talking about. There's no block in the back there. <laughs> but on to the next one. It's Arkansas. Oh, God. Uh. Arkansas, I did watch the some of the Coastal Carolina game. Um, Arkansas is uh, bad. Uh, it was on TV. I was waiting for the LSU game to start. Um, they're bad. Yeah. Uh, um, LSU, really the only excuse to lose this game is the 11 a.m. kick. And the old JP sports time slot, crazy things happen. Yeah. Yeah, which will probably make him uncomfortably close. I don't know, though. They're bad. Yeah. And... I don't know. It's different than your normal Arkansas, you know, you know, November. Yeah. Uh, they just don't have that buy-in that they normally have. Well, then they're in a mess of their quarterback position. I don't know what – I don't think they've named a starter yet, have they? I don't think they have either. And I, it, it's just – they just feel like they're in disarray. Oh, yeah. It, it's like he's on his last legs kind of thing. Feels like. Yeah, and, and normally when we play them, it feels like they've just everything's come together. So I'm worried about the start time, but this is definitely a game where LSU just needs to build off what they did against Alabama, where a lot of things have really improved. If if you saw the Alabama game, the LSU Alabama game, and compare it, you know, to a month and a half ago where this team was, you know, compared to their first SEC game against Mississippi State, it's a radically different team. Yeah, absolutely. And so it's – I feel they're in a good place. They just need to put – they just haven't quite put everything together in the one game. Yeah, I, wonder, I I said on the site, you know, like prep and play – prep and practice and come to this game like you're playing Alabama. And you will blow them off the mat and you can get Miles Brennan snaps and do whatever you want in the second half. Yeah, like because I, I feel they've won games and they've turned the season around, but they haven't quite had that – that perfect outing. Like, I don't feel this team has ever played it. I don't feel it's played its best game yet. No, I don't think so either. And and there's a chance in these next three weeks where they can put together their best game. Yeah. They've grown so much. Like we've seen that it was sort of brick by brick with the, the Florida game was sort of like, okay, we can win. And then the Auburn game was like, Oh, we can take some shit and still win and beat a good team. Not just like, cause Florida was bad back then. Yeah. No, they looked decent. Um, you know, so it's just sort of been building blocks up to, and then they just and like, dom- they did dominate Ole Miss. But Ole Miss they, they dominate Ole Miss. Now, that was the first game they dominated, but I still don't feel it, that was their, their perfect outing. Cause once uh, Patterson went out, I feel the second team could really move the ball. Yeah. So. But we haven't we'll had one s- of those like smothering performances. No. Yeah. We're in the fourth quarter. Uh, I'm, you know, you know, trying out new beers. Uh, that's <laughs> we're in the so, fourth quarter, and Miles Brennan has twenty pass attempts, and Danny Etling does too. <laughs> yeah, and I think that gets into the next thing is like what, where do you stand on how to manage Miles Brennan for the rest of the year? Well, you and I have agreed on this, I think, for several weeks now, which is that 
and maybe you've changed your stance. Um, I wanted Brennan to play heavily in these last three games, if not start. Um, I don't. He's clearly not going to start because they keep reaffirming Etling as the starter and all of that. But I do think there's a great opportunity here to. You're playing three pretty bad teams, two absolutely bad teams, and one team that's like meh if, at best and free falling um, in A and M. So you have an opportunity here to like crush teams in the first half, and then you put Britain in, and it's not a controversy. It's not weird because you're putting in your backups because you're dominating the game. Why would you keep playing your starters, kind of thing? And Britain gets plenty of snaps to play, you know. And I think that's the ideal scenario. I think that's the ideal scenario. Of course, that won't work out because <laughs> when does the ideal scenario ever happen? Um, yeah, I'd like to see more. Brent. I, at this point, it's clear this team's playing for next year. Uh, um, what, I, I figured you stuck with that Lang as long as the SEC championship game was in – was a possibility. But now that it's not, it's for real out of reach. You still want to finish top 25 and you still want to finish strong. But at the end of the day – the goals of this team and this program are for next year at this point. And that means more seeing more of Brennan than Etling on the flip side is I don't, I don't think you can totally sell a senior who kind of stepped in under difficult situations last year. You can't totally sell them down the river. You, you have to give them some snaps. Yeah. I, and, I mean, just out of loyalty, you don't want to lose the program to upperclassmen, particularly juniors are going to come back saying, Hey, am I going to get treated like that when I'm a senior? So I think the the way to treat it is still to treat Edling as your nominal starter. But I'd actually like to see Brennan play in the second quarter of games when the game is still contested. I'm curious what how long their leash will be now that the season is sort of where it is. Do they grow more impatient with Edling than they might have earlier in the season? Yeah. Uh, I'd like to – and look, early in the season they were trying to get Brennan in – yeah. Early in games, I'd like to see them do that now, um, and also like put him in the second quarter, and then put Brennan, uh, put Etling back in in the third quarter, just to you know rotate quarters or something like that. Just get Brennan's, Brennan some meaningful snaps. Of course, it's going to just bring the wave of quarterback controversy discussion, though. Well, it will, but who cares? I, yeah. I think it's the end. At the end of the day, because it, it, look, the quarterback controversy essentially will be over because that thing is going to graduate. Yeah, someone made a good point on the site, though, that I think does matter. And that's that we really need to win these last three games, if for nothing else, for O's coaching stability. Because going the season is what it is. And at this point, like it's easy to be like, well, if we dropped one of these final three games, it's not really going to change our bowl slotting. And, you know, we're in a bowl, whatever. And it's not going to be like the biggest bowl in the world right now. But looking back at a team that is a four loss team or five loss team, it does feel different. I agree. Yeah. Like that's, that's a, that turns into like, that wasn't a very good season. Whereas if you're 10 and three, it's like, Oh, it's a pretty good season. It was a good, good first year. So I guess you're right on that front. I'm willing to accept the risk. Uh, I I know Billy's trying to frame it as if you play Brennan, you lose, and you play Etling, you win. I don't think it's that simple. (laughs) No, I think I think you you can win playing Brennan. Um, Who do I think is the better quarterback right now? Probably it's still Danny Etling, but not by much. Yeah, I think 
I mean, I don't think much is – Brennan is a better passer. Antling probably knows the offense better and keeps – does those little things well, you know, keeps it on schedule, gets us in and out of the huddle, doesn't but get really confused what, pre-snap and stuff like that. What I want to see is Brennan build up a rapport with some of the receivers. I want to see him throw it around to Dylan and Sullivan and, you know, maybe D. Anderson, you know, will have a better rapport with Brennan than he does with Etling. Yeah. I mean, sure. I mean, and that's I, the guys he's been throwing to. And, and that's the thing that I want to see out of these weeks. I mean, of course you want to see wins. I, I don't I don't want to make it seem as totally developmental because, look, I don't think we should bench Geis or Key or anybody. You know, I still want this to be the first team offense. But I think there comes a point where the future is now for the quarterback. And I, I want to go into next year with Miles Brennan in as good of position as possible. Yeah, totally. And it, it, we, you also don't want to go into next year with like, well, our quarterback was inexperienced. Like, it just doesn't feel like a viable excuse to have for next season. Yeah, that's exactly what I don't want to have. I, I, I want him to not be the returning starter, but be a returning experienced player. Yeah, exactly. And quarterbacks, unfortunately, can't get those snaps on special teams like we can do with like backup linebackers and DBs and wide receivers. Yeah, exactly. It's a great way to work them into it's sort of a hidden the hidden secret of college football, you know, is a guy like I don't know, like Jacob Phillips who has played on defense as well, but he's played a ton of special teams, so he's getting a lot of experience and learning about yeah, how they're playing. And, yeah, and so I, it's just that the next couple of weeks aren't going to have very high stakes, but I do think it's important to win Arkansas and to win it comfortably because I think that'll set the tone for the next three weeks. What's your worry level at? Are you, do you think we drop any of these games? Get back to me on a and I, I don't think a and going to be a total pushover. Um, but uh, there's not much worry on Arkansas and Tennessee, to be perfectly honest. Yeah, mine, mine is pretty low. I mean, the one factor is that this is a game that Burt can win and will please his bosses. So he, yeah, he kind of knows he, but I think he's kind of lost it at this point. Yeah, I, I think the ship has already sailed. I think because coaches always want to win. I think it's the players, and I think he's lost. I think he's lost the room. Yeah, it seems like it. And not only that, I think he's lost the fan base. Uh, I, I just there's not a whole lot of believers in him outside of the coaching room. And I think you know he'll he'll give it the old college try. They're not going to lay down, of course, but they're just not very good. Yeah. Now, on the flip side, I do think Tennessee is going to lay down. <laughs> that is a team that I think is just emotionally damaged. Yeah, they're in a free fall. Yeah, it's bad. But I do, what LSU really needs to do is they need to win the Arkansas game comfortably to kind of put it in everyone's mind that this isn't a game you can win. Yep. You, you, you're not just playing Arkansas. You're kind of playing Tennessee and A&M. You're, you want to put them on notice. For sure. Yeah, and for our own psyche. Because if, if they struggle or lose, God help us. Yeah, then who knows what happens. Oh, my God, we're, you know, we're back to where we were. We can only win games when his back's totally up against the wall. And Yeah. yeah. Uh, this is the crucial game. Yeah, so come out, smack them in the mouth, get a big lead. They're not a team that can – well, I say that. They did come back from a big lead against Ole Miss, but Ole Miss's defense is like – Switch yeah, cheese, so. yeah you, you would like this game to be over by the half. 
Yeah, and you can have your mimosas and eat your bacon and just be drunk as hell. Yeah, because you know bacon is delicious. It's true. This this podcast is not vegan. No, this is a non-vegan. <laughs> <sighs> Should we do questions? Yeah, so let's hit question time. It's been a while. Yeah, it has. I didn't do questions last week. Because uh, Poser's the question guy. I don't want to hear your guys' questions. Yeah, he doesn't care about you. I I love you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Vinny says, would you rather fight 50 duck-sized Sabins or one hippo-sized Charlie Weiss? So basically he's asking would I rather fight Charlie Weiss or Nick Saban 50 times. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, like I want to fight Nick Saban as many times as I possibly can. <laughs> so, <laughs> I want to punch him in the face 50 times. So, uh, Okay. Jacob Hibbard, I think we just answer this. He basically asks where where do we stand on the Brennan versus Etling thing? So yeah, hit reverse. We both like Brennan more. Uh, how many coaches do and Hibbard again? How many coaches do we get fired these last three games? Well, I don't think we're the ones that's actually going to get them fired. If that makes any sense, though, I do think we should take partial credit for McElwain because we sent him down on that road. Um, uh, McElwain, we can definitely put that uh, that scalp up. But I think LSU is going to win all three, and I think all three coaches are going to get fired. Yeah, I think so too. A and M is a weird situation. I don't know how to feel about that. Like I could, I yeah. get their discontent, but they're also that's kind of their program. <laughs> like yeah, this, <laughs> I think what the problem is with someone, and I actually I like someone. I don't want it to be me too. I do think it's a little bit more piling on on him, but I think what it is is. A, it's the expectations game. You always, you'd rather lose than win than win than lose. But it's also he's doing the same thing every year, where yeah. they get out to like a seven and one start and then fall apart. And that is part puzzling. of the schedule. But it, that's got to be frustrating. Yeah, it's partially scheduled, but it's not entirely because some of those were like they beat Alabama early in the year, you know. So it's, yeah, yeah, it's weird. Um, but I saw some weird stat like they haven't beaten our. Um, a ranked team or a team with a winning record in forever. Um, I, yeah. I can't remember the actual. There, there's there's something like, of course, because when you're about to fire a coach, you try and find as many as embarrassing numbers as you can. But there's some stat that basically made it look like he can't beat a good team. Um, there's some truth to that, but they have beaten good teams. It's just that you know Manziel was a few years ago, and they haven't been able to re- recapture that magic. Yeah, that's my favorite stat they post is a lot of them like to post his record post Manziel. And I'm like, you know those count, right? Like, <laughs> of course yeah, you yeah. aren't as good without Manziel. He was amazing. And I think the biggest concern with someone is like how many quarterbacks have run through that program in like the past two years. Yeah. Like wasn't it like just a year ago they had like three five-star quarterbacks there and now there's none left. Yeah, and they have Kellen Mond going out there. Like that's – that's discouraging. Meanwhile, their former starter is now out of TCU. Maybe going to win the Big Twelve title. Yep, and that, that's that's tough to swallow. It is a mess. And the other starter is at Houston. He's playing pretty well. Right. So, and I think that's the problem: is that the management, the, the management of the quarterback position has been bad for LSU in the sense that we can't keep, we can't find a starter. A&M's has been they can't keep a starter. Yeah, that's a weird, that's a weird mess down there. 
But I do. I, I'm with you. I like someone. I feel like given another chance at a different job, he could probably do well. I think so too. I, I wouldn't write off his career, but I think it's time that they parted ways. Yeah, but it's kind of been the, but, the dilemma of whether or not he would leave on his own volition, just getting tired of dealing with that sort of perpetual. But like, if I if I was a mid tier program, I would certainly consider hiring. Kevin Sumlin. I don't think LSU should, but I think we're a little bit higher on the pecking order. Yeah, I but but if I was, you know, Ole Miss, I would certainly consider Kevin Sumlin. Yeah, I saw uh, somebody pro- proposing the idea of him going to Florida, which I thought. Uh, was, not, eh, I it's not the worst idea because you know it's a recruiting gig and he's a great recruiter. Yeah. Uh, their main argument was like bringing back fun offense to go with what is a traditionally strong defense. But I was like, you know, their offense isn't really – it's not what it was in his early years anymore. Yeah, he's had problems trying to find a fun offense. Yeah. like they. But you know what? He, last year – well, actually it was like two years ago when he had like all those great wide receivers. Yep. Yeah, you know, he, he's been able – when he's had the talent, he's he's tried to spread the ball around. Yeah, he does for sure. I mean, that's a, hiring Noel Mazzoni was a weird hire. He's just never found a running back to go with him. Yeah, they have a few, but they're yeah, yeah, they're, they're never anything special. Okay, enough A and M. Yeah, uh, Crackles wants to know uh, if we're going to fight, and if we are, if I'm going to puss out, or will I actually show up this time? Oh, Dan always shows up. But no, we're not going to fight. Like, come on. Like, you know, we're going to get together and kick your ass. <laughs> we're coming for you, Crackles. Um, uh, Vinny wants to know, Vinny again, did Iowa use up all their offensive points for the year with this last game? <laughs> like NBA uh, no, Jam style where you run out of turbo? Got it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the field lit on fire, um, just like the hoop did. Um, no, I think it's good karma for the children's hospital. Like, I, I think they earned they had th- those were karmic fifty five points. Did you watch that game? Uh, yes, uh, my wife has adopted Iowa as her favorite college football team because oh, okay. of uh, the kids, uh, the children's hospital thing. Cool, and uh, um. She made me watch all the way down to um, the final minute where they were just kneeling the ball. Just so she also she hates Ohio State. She went yeah, to Bowling Green for her uh, grad degree. So deep hatred of Ohio State, coupled with a uh, um, a newfound love of Iowa. Yeah, we we watched almost every snap of the second half. It was great fun. You know, Kinnick is like a place where top teams go, top 10 teams go to die, but it's usually sort of like a 10 to 7 death, like Michigan last yeah, year. Yeah. Like, I would just beat their ass. And it was. I would destroy them. Yeah, I mean, that was, like it really wasn't close. I mean, it was over early, and I, the fake punt was definitely the best part of the game. Yeah. Um, it, but yeah, it was, it was never close. They just destroyed them and couldn't happen to a nicer team. It's, it's just weird to see that happen to. One of the team that recruits best in the nation, someone that, I mean, you basically, the way people talk about it, I mean, I think Saban is on his own tier, but I think people are like, then there's Urban, and then there's sort of everybody else. Yeah, I think that's fair. And I don't know what's going on. It's a weird, I don't know. Ohio State's in a weird spot. Yeah, they just, 
you know, they, they kind of got fortunate to beat Penn State. I, I felt Penn State was the better team. Same. And then Ohio State had this fourth quarter that just defied logic and won the game. And, that, you know, that happens. Fair play. And then I, I just think they thought their season was over. They were just like, all right, you know, breathe out. And, yeah, Iowa just just mauled them. <laughs> That's the biggest issue I've had with Connolly's rankings all year is that he's had Ohio State so high. Yeah, yeah I, I don't – Just like I know eyeball test isn't everything, but when I watched them, I was like, this is not a great team. Like they're good. Yeah. Sure, but they're not great. Their receiving core, really questionable. There's like no one who can bail them out. Yeah, and they're, not, they're secondary too. It's not oh very God, good. Yeah, both ends of it. And like Barrett, like he can run the ball really well, but – yeah, I'm not God. a JT Barrett fan, so that has something to do with it. But also, it's just, I don't know, like, I, I do think he gets way too defensive about it. Like, when people are like, dude, Ohio State is number two in your rankings right now. And he's just like, well, you don't understand kind of thing. So, yeah. yeah. There's a little bit, and I get it, because he, he has to field questions from, some, you know, from everybody. And all, some of the criticism he takes is just troglodytes. Yes. But... Uh, on the other hand, is that that's a legitimate criticism. I mean, Ohio State <laughs> being number two should raise some red flags. And this is something that I think about all statistical systems like that is I think they overrate blowout wins. And I know he'll come back with like, you know, there's a point where I don't count as much. Yeah, I get that. But I, I think statistical models tend to overrate bullies. You know, teams that are really good at beating up on inferior opponents, but not as good about playing teams that are at equal level. Yeah. Um, that's actually one of the reasons why I think LSU has long been overrated by statistical models. So it's come on us. Yeah. And, and this is the year, I mean, the first year of, oh, we are not nearly as highly ranked. We're not bad, but we're not in his rankings, not up where yes, but we're normally we're like in that top 15 year. range. But we're not a, we're not a bully this year. We're not blowing out bad teams, and right. I think there's a limited utility in how well you play against bad teams. I mean, yes, it, it does show that you're good because you're so much better than them. You can do whatever, but I think there's a kind of team that is a bully that doesn't play as well against good teams because they're as soon as you disrupt anything, they, they just get more frustrated than a team that isn't quite as talented and is always used to having to fight its way through that kind of thing. Like they have the experience doing it. Yeah, so, yeah, sure. Um, and I don't mean that from an intangible standpoint. I mean that from an actual production standpoint, like, you know, you know, Iowa is always used to having, you know, their, op, their first option being taken away. <laughs> yeah. So they're really good at option B. Yeah, and I don't think Ohio State is very good at their option B. If option A gets taken away, well, they they've never used option B, and then they get just get crushed. Well, they, they normally don't get crushed. That was amazing, but you know what I mean. Well, that is. I mean, they got crushed by OU too. So, so yeah, maybe they do get crushed anytime they can't do option A. This is total. I I said it. I said it out loud. So I will. Uh, it's just been something I've been thinking on and didn't tweet. But I feel like OU might be the team that can upset Alabama, which I know they just gave up like 50-something fucking points. But No, I think that's fair. Uh, that, they're look, the kind of team that can give Bama hell. And if you give also, Bama in a shootout, this is what I said in the pod last week, that's when they get really uncomfortable. And also, Baker Mayfield is a special player. Yeah, he's incredible. Um, and if you look at the profile of teams that beat Bama, and I know I did this last year, that there isn't really one. 
But if you do want to point out one thing, it's normally they have a special player that does something special. Yeah, like you need you need your special player to be having a great game. Um, usually a quarterback. It doesn't have to be, but you need a Heisman level player that can take over a football game. Yep. And Oklahoma has that, but so does Oklahoma State. So don't count them out either. Yeah, but now because I think losses. Mason Rudolph could do the same thing. I don't think he's as good, but I think he has the same ability to just have that game. Mm-hmm. Um. TCU, on the other hand, I don't think has a player like that. So while I think TCU might be the better team, I don't think they have as good a chance to beat Bama. I'm an OU. I've been a, I think I picked OU in my preseason playoffs, so I've maybe it's confirmation bias, but I've been an OU believer all year. So yeah, I expect them to beat TCU this weekend. That's gonna be a good game. I think it's gonna be a great game. Um, yeah. so yeah, we'll see what happens on that. Okay, back to questions. Sorry. No, no, it's a, you know, I like diversions. Uh, okay, Vinny again. This is uh, this ties into a couple weeks ago pod. So Florida State has to win three of their last four games to get their record bowl streak. They have to beat Clemson, Delaware State, which is a W, Monroe, which they got back on the schedule now. Of course they did. And for, yeah, I know. I was like, oh, shit. Fuck those guys. I wish Monroe – I hope Monroe beats them. Like, go support the, you know, state of Louisiana. That would, be the, that would be the best scenario. They beat Florida and then lose to Monroe. Like, <laughs> oh, oh that would be – go Warhawks. Um, I don't know. I think it's 50-50. Uh, that Florida State-Florida game is going to be for all the marbles. Um, Man, did Florida look bad last week, though? And Florida has really—I thought Florida was going to have a dead cat bounce. Me this too. Week. Uh, you know, new coach. I thought they were going to come out there and—I mean, not be great, but I thought they were going to play a lot better. Just because yeah. throw happens when you get rid of your your hated coach. The old spirited rebound. Instead, they got worse, and so there's a chance that Florida State can really pour it on Florida. Yeah, and Florida yeah. State actually looked improved for the, maybe the first time all year. Yeah, beating Syracuse. Yeah, who's not a bad team at all. Maybe the best team in the nation, honestly, and we beat them, so. <laughs> well, clearly. Uh, all right, John wants to know, um, he says we complain about our fans a lot. I don't feel like we do. No, I think we're just like everybody else. I mean, there is a segment of the fan base we don't like, but. I, I'm uh, just saying the two of us. I think our site complains about our fans a lot. But the two of us, I don't think we in particular. Yeah, I don't think the two of us complain. Yeah, um, I think fans are fans. I like fans. I like people to be excited, and you know, I like cooking stuff. You know, I, I find most of the things people hate about our fans that that behavior that the fans are doing is usually fairly reasonable. Like leaving early. Yeah, like yeah, I mean, I can kind well, of I understand why it happens. Mine is even if I don't like the behavior, I think it's universal. Yeah, that too. It's it's yeah, not an LSU but, problem. It's yeah, a, like I don't think there's too many specific to LSU problems other than people who have a purple and gold Confederate flag. Stop that. Yeah. But other than that, you know, I'm hell, not, I, that's I support, not even an LSU thing, so Yeah, and I support neck. You know, if you're a college student and you want to drop the F bomb. You know, knock yourself out. You know, we did OEO back in the day, so right. who am I to tell you what you're allowed to say? Uh, his his total question was, we're better than Tennessee fans, right? Of course. The Tennessee fans are kind of the no, worst. That's the worst. <laughs> no, I mean, I think fans are the same everywhere. And I, and I think with Tennessee fans, 
they've just been so beaten down. I mean, the, Tennessee is one of the co- big programs in college football historically, and for them to have been this bad for this long, it's tough. You know, I have argued in the past that they would rebound, and I'm just starting to think they may not. I, I, I still think they will. Um, By rebound, I mean like their elite levels. I think they'll, they can be a good program, of course. Nah, it's going to take time. They got to first get to nine and three and get back to that level, and then they can get to the, you know make the jump. I think people overrate when they say, "Oh, well, they don't have the recruiting base." They still have the state of Tennessee, and I know Memphis is a really far away from Knoxville, but it's still in the state, and that still carries some weight. And if you look at a Memphis kid, Tennessee is still the hometown school. And they're in the southeast, so they can go into Florida, they can go into Georgia, and all those places. You know, look, and they can go into Norfolk and get all those kids out of yeah. you know, uh, you know, Virginia. It's not um, Nebraska. Like, like Nebraska truly is sort of a recruiting. Yeah. Nebraska is a school that does not have a recruiting. But look, Oklahoma doesn't have recruit. They have to go to Dallas. Yeah, they go to Texas. <laughs> um, so I think people overstate the institutional problems at Tennessee. I just think they've made a series of bad hires at the coach, and I think they've tried to shortcut their way back. If that makes any sense. I think they're always trying to make, you know, they're trying to make up three wins in a year. And they just need to accept that they're bad and take two or three years building a foundation. Yeah, they need a program builder. Yeah. I don't know who that is. I don't know who it is either, but I think they need a pro. I think that's exactly what they need. They need a builder, someone and someone who has the latitude to lose for a few years. Yeah, so you, they need someone that the fan base will buy into. Like I don't. Yeah. Like I think Lane Kiffin could. I mean, I know. Okay, obviously they're not going to hire Lane Kiffin. I'm using him because he's a very obvious example. But like, uh, I think Lane Kiffin's probably a pretty good coach. He could probably do well at a job like that, but hey, he went seven and six as one year there. He, yeah. he wasn't a disaster. So, I mean, he was I a disaster think, for other reasons. Yeah, I don't think they would wait him out. You know, he he would grade on too many nerves. Yeah, I mean, I just don't. And also, if you look at the East, normally when people talk about sleeping giant programs, it's something that always bothers me. They'll always pick someone that's in a place where they just can't grow. The biggest factor for a sleeping giant is not just recruiting base or any of that. It's opportunity. And if you look at the SEC East, Florida's now down. Okay, Georgia's now up. But other than that, that's a pretty bad division. Mm -hmm. It is begging for someone to win 10 games every year. So the reason I think Tennessee can come back is because someone's going to. We just don't know who it's going to be. It's a race now between Tennessee and Florida if we can get on the right right track first. Yeah, I mean the the East is basically begging for a team to be um, Georgia's LSU and Auburn, like we are to Bama right now. Yeah, that and and also that's kind team. of it's also kind of when I say when people ask for those who's the big sleeping giant in football, I always suggest someone like Illinois or Iowa because the Big Ten West is begging for that team. Yeah, I have a buddy that was like convinced that. Miles could have gone to Purdue and won there because the Big Ten West is just such a dumpster. Yeah. Uh, it's possible to win the, in, in, at Purdue right now. It's an interesting time in college football. I, I mean, yeah. The coaching mill, I know there were some big hires last year, but it sort of felt 
obvious what was going to happen in some ways. Like, I, I think that's right. Yeah. And this year, I think it's a little more like, who? I don't know. I don't know what direction they're going to yeah, go. Yeah, I think everybody is just wide open. Um, I think the hottest name is going to be what Campbell from Ohio State, and he's got the $10 million buyout, so yep. he might not even move. Yep, Campbell, and then, yeah, I mean, Chad Morris, I guess, has built up a pretty big... Yeah, I think he'll go to A&M. I, I think that's the one obvious move. That is the most obvious one, but who knows. And look, that. Chad Morris, you know, he, he was the OC at Clemson, so he's got skins on the wall. Exactly. You know, he's been at big-time programs, and honestly, SMU, they've played pretty well this season, and no one's showing up to games, so they don't deserve him. <laughs> yeah, and he's a Texas lifer. Like, he is a true it's, Texan guy. Yeah, so at A&M makes so much sense. So I, I think another reason that someone is doomed is that the guy they can hire is right there. But I, I, I feel like they think he's beneath them, which is kind of the problem with A&M. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I don't think they do feel that he's beneath them. Well, I think there are people who think that, but I don't think – uh, I, I don't know. I'm saying the actual people in charge might not think that, but I do know there are, fan, there are fans that think that. Yes, I guess that's what I meant when I said people. Yeah, yeah I don't know about I, the powers that be over there. Yeah. So. Uh, okay, Hemi Kane. Why is Whataburger trash that people defend? Um, I think Whataburger is delicious. So it is. I, that, that's wrong. because he's been living on the West Coast and thinks In and Out is good. Internet's not bad. It's just, you know, it was so hyped up when it came here. I was very excited to try it. The burger's good. It's not, not you know, it's not life-changing. The fries are terrible. Just terrible. The they worst, are. The worst fast food fries. And their shakes, not that good either. Um, Whataburger's shakes aren't that good either, but uh, their fries are delicious. And honestly, their burger is outstanding. I, I don't know. I don't know what your problem with a Whataburger burger could be. Those things are delicious. Yeah, I tend to fall on the um, – in this whole burger debate, I tend to fall on the like they're all pretty good. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I'm like, with and you. And it all sucks. I'm like, no, it's actually pretty good. Yeah, they're all pretty good. No, what I think is underrated as someone who is n- not a native Texan and has moved to here and you know had to try out chains, Brahms. Yeah, Brahms. Brahms is a fantastic burger. It's uh, it, it just tastes it, it tastes grilled more than your know, regular burger, you know, other fast food chains. Mm-hmm. And also, their milkshakes are freaking amazing. And also, I gotta admit, I like crinkle fries. I know that's not a popular. I know I'm kind of going against the grain on that one, but the. I think Brahms is the underrated wild card here that is really getting left out of this discussion. That's true. Uh, that turned into a long-ass debate, which happened a lot this week, uh, about Hemi Kane and his tastes and why he would eat that. So I'm skipping over all that crap. Yeah, I don't, I don't care. Well, look, well, eat what you want to eat. Um, um, I, I do like regional chains. I think that's kind of cool that everybody kind of has – yeah. Like if you're from California or the West, you're going to like in and out. If you're from Texas, you're going to like Whataburger. Um, East Coast is five guys. Um, I'm going to say as someone who grew up as an East Coaster and then moved to Texas, five guys is a little bit overpriced. And I don't quite consider it a fast food burger burger because there's no drive through. Yeah, that's an interesting question. It's more of a counter joint. If that makes it, it's, it's a different level. It's more of a, the Chipotle of uh, burger joints. Yeah, it's it's in that fast casual genre. I think. Yeah, yeah. It. So I don't quite put it in the same category, but I have to say, since moving to Texas, very happy with the Whataburger. That I didn't grow up with either one of the two. That's the one that impressed me. But again, Brahms, 
total dark horse from the outside. If you're in Texas, go to one, get a milkshake. Isn't Brahms from Oklahoma originally? It might be Oklahoma, but I know they have I mean, I know they're in Texas. Texas, yeah. Yeah, they're yeah. I, I don't know their corporate history. I'm gonna but if if Brahms is you know looking to sponsor a podcast, I will eat a Brahms burger on every one of these podcasts if if they gave me even a nominal amount of money. God, if this podcast ever got a sponsor, uh, yeah. dude, I would love that. Yeah. Uh, okay, Max wants to know how hyped we are for Brennan Canada in 2018. Also, he says congrats to you uh, on your son's health, and that was the best well, news of the week so far. Well, thank you. We're all pretty happy about it. So um, I, I got really drunk yesterday and watched Thor Ragnarok. Um, highly recommend it. Highly recommended when drunk and in a good mood. Um, but yeah, everything's fine. So he's not going to require surgery. So I'm, you know, can now turn my attention to LSU football instead of like life things. Um, now I forgot what the question was. Um, so. uh, he just is asking if we're looking forward to basically next oh, yeah. year with Brennan in yeah. Canada. Yeah, I totally am. I, I think um, I'd like to see Brennan get some reps now just so you can kind of have a soft open. Yeah, and all I would say is I, I think yes, and I think Brennan will win the job, but don't sleep on Lowell Narcisse because he's been taking a red shirt and getting himself into shape, and if he works at it, I, it'll be a QB competition. So No, I, I hope it is because that means he's good. Yes, exactly. Uh, okay, Ryan Dewey has uh, several questions. So what to make of Jeff Grimes this season? That's a really – Good question. That is a good question because we were both ready to send him out of town on a on a rail yep, a month ago. They rebounded, and, and honestly, the offensive line looks pretty good. And he's done it with a pretty patchwork unit, which has been all freshmen. There hasn't been a whole lot of whole lot of depth. Mm-hmm. I mean, and he has a reputation as a great recruiter. I'm going to yeah. defer to you on that one. Um, no, he's definitely a great recruiter. The, the so, problem he's had at LSU is keeping those guys around. That's been the issue. So honestly, I I wouldn't be in a hurry to fire him. How about that? Well, yeah, I, I think I, I think he has saved his job, much like you know Orgeron has saved his. I think you're right. I mean, he frustrates the hell out of me. We we always seem to start slow on the offensive line. I don't know why that is, but they do seem to get better. So. And if any year has an excuse for offensive line play, this was the one. Yeah. I mean, looking at what he was playing, you know, he, he was playing a lot of freshmen, and I think he was playing a walk-on at one point. Well, yeah, we we talked about preseason, you know, one injury, and you're in trouble. And then Weathersby has been on and off, and now, you know, we lose Malone, what, like four or five games in? So. Yeah. But look, they were great against Bama. So yeah. it's also this is the perfect time to ask that question if you're a Jeff Grimes fan because you, you're catching me in a good mood. <laughs> it's true. Because if you would have asked that the week before Bama, I would have said fire him. Yeah, let's but, see what happens this week. Because we'll see, yeah, so let's see like, what happens this week. But I think he's done enough to improve himself to at least that I'm not in a hurry to get rid of him. We also have two five star offensive linemen committed, not for this coming class, but the one after that. So yeah, mm-hmm. I want to keep him around for that. Um, all right, Ryan Dewey again. Is Tom Herman four and five at LSU at this point? Or he also says, "What about Jimbo? What would he have done with this team?" Uh, God, it's hard to know. I mean, yeah, uh, 
I don't think they would have lost to Troy. Um, on the flip side, I don't know if they would have had the rebound that they did. They might be in the same place, but we'd be complaining about different things. I, but I don't know. I was a huge Herman fan, and I just, man, he lost me. I don't know. I, I don't think he's going to work at Texas. I don't think he's going to work at Texas either. But I think the problems there are not coaching. It's not exclusive to him. There's other problems there, obviously. But I don't know. He's a weird guy. He is a weird guy, but I, I've, Texas's problems have nothing to do with their coach. Not nothing, but they look the same as they did last year. To me, yeah, and they also have that huge problem at quarterback. I mean, we complain about Edling, but Edling is still, I think, an acceptable Division One quarterback. Yeah, Texas has got nothing. Um, they they either got a guy who can't throw. And looks like he should be playing tight end, you know, like the Iowa State quarterback. Or they play a freshman who is just, I mean, just any everything that comes out of his mouth makes me want to punch him in the face. Uh, he's just Ellinger or whatever. It yeah, it, it just seems like he doesn't learn his lesson, and he just makes terrible decisions. And if you look at what Herman did at Houston, I mean, he was able. To have a really good offense with bad quarterback, yeah, he that wide receiver. I've seen with Ohio State. He just—I don't think he has the quarterback he needs right now. I don't think either of those guys are the answer. I don't know. And, uh, Herman's lost me. I, I think Texas has bigger problems, but just whatever—that's a different subject. Yeah. yeah. Uh, favorite member of the 2017 signing class so far is Tory Carter. Sneaky good. Uh, Tory no. Carter's not sneaky good. Yeah, he's, he's outright good. He's outright good. Uh, right now, um, Greedy Williams, right? No, he's a red shirt. Oh, he's red shirt? Okay, I can't say greedy. Um, uh, Tory Carter's a, a fullback, so yeah, he, he's clearly going to be my favorite. I, I, I love him. Yeah, um, if you're looking for the two, like the biggest contributors, you got Delpit, who's a starter. Yeah, um, Delpit's taking a lot of criticism, but I think people forget he's a true freshman. Yeah, he's 18. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, I think Delpit's done great for a true freshman. Yeah, absolutely. So I guess a Delpit is my early. But Carter is up there. Like, Carter's a joy to watch play. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think Chase has got still going to be something. I mean, yeah, it's just yeah. we're, we're just asking too much for freshmen to be breakout players. Yeah, for sure. There, there's a lot of good ones. It was a good class. Um, yeah, they're contributing. I, I think you see them on the field, and I think that's the, you know, Ja'Cory Stevens was kind of moved all over the field, and I like that attitude. So that's a guy I really like, just a guy who's willing to do anything to get on the field. Yeah, that was weird because I expected him to be an immediate contributor, and he's moved around a lot and hasn't – I mean, he's had a couple catches, but – but I don't think I don't think his lack of catches is on is on him so much. Yeah. So I'm not giving up hoping him at all. Yeah, neither He's am I. Too um, yeah, exactly. All right. Uh, who should we hope Florida, Tennessee, and A and M hire? So he's presuming they're all well. Florida, obviously. But um, well, honestly, we need Tennessee to be good. Uh, part of Alabama's run is that I totally they're agree with this. Rival. So we I don't play Tennessee. them enough that it matters if they're good. Right. So I and honestly, we're going to play them this year. So that means we're not going to play them again for seven years. So, nope. so I hope Tennessee hires Fuente. <laughs> 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 uh, 
I mean, because that would both strengthen Tennessee and weaken Virginia Tech, and that's the place where he's going to recruit. Um, that would be the, you know, their home run hire. It's not going to happen, but that's who I'm rooting for. Yeah, that would be a good one. Um, um, I, I want Florida to biff it again, obviously, because they're our permanent opponent. Yeah, um, I want Florida um, – I want him to hire Dan Mullen just because that'd be funny. Um, honestly, I think Dan Mullen's a good coach and could do a good job at Florida. But man, just how disappointed would they be? Man, I don't think I want them to hire Dan Mullen because Dan Mullen's the only guy that could take Mississippi State to beat LSU a couple times. Yeah, that's true. So Florida, I mean, God, who do I want them to hire? Um, you know, bring Charlie Strong home. Yo. Well, you know uh, how I feel about Charlie Strong, so I, yeah, I, um, yeah. Well, you want them to biff the hire is kind of what we're getting. Texas A and M. Lane Kiffin, I guess is who. Like, because there's no way that ends well. <laughs> his his caveat to the question was other than Lane Kiffin. <laughs> other than Lane Kiffin. <laughs> um, they want to. I mean, Chad Morris is just such the obvious candidate, and um, maybe he says no when they hire Seth Luttrell from uh, North, yeah, Texas. North Texas. Yeah, that'd be funny. But actually, honestly, I think Seth Luttrell might be a pretty good coach. Me too. Um, North Texas is a you know just a graveyard. Um, is this one I can like defend Lane Kiffin because I think Lane Kiffin's a good coach. Oh, I think he is too. I just think he's a rotten human being. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he he has his. It would kind of be fun if he was somewhere like Washington State. I mean, look, I, I think Lane Kiffin's going to get an SEC job again. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I think he'll last another two years, and then he'll piss everybody off and get fired. Because <laughs> if you, he always gets fired or leaves for non-football reasons. Yeah, it's always a, a mess. It's never because the team is bad. It's because Lane Kiffin can't help himself and – that's what's going to, you know, so I think he'll get hired by Ole Miss and, you know, he'll, you know, end up shacking up with a cheerleader or something like that. <laughs> it's just something awful. Uh, maybe he'll just stack up that FAU cash and get, you know, retire early or something. Uh, I mean, I think the big thing is I would be rooting against Matt Campbell coming to the conference because yeah. we, we do not need a guy who can win at Iowa State. But that's also, um, from a point of conference strength, is something we've talked about a lot on the show. Yeah. That would be yeah, the move to get us back in that direction because we've made a lot of bad hires lately. Yeah, that would be a great hire. Um, if I'm an AD, I pay the $10 million. The guy is winning at Iowa State. Do you understand how terrible you know, Iowa State's been? Yeah, I feel like that's the guy Tennessee should go get. Um, and I know it's $10 million buyout. That's a huge buyout. No one's ever paid that before. But you know what? We're paying coaches $10 million a year now. And that's a year's salary. Yeah. I, I, know that's, I know that sounds ridiculous, but it is. That's the game. And we're people are going to start paying buyouts at $10 million like it's nothing in five years. Yep, I agree. So get ahead of that. <laughs> yeah, so – but there's not I mean, enough money in in college football to pay these players. Yeah, and I think the other one is uh, um, the other guy. You, if we're talking about what's good for the conference, the coaches that you know scare me. Uh, Campbell scares me. He's really good. I think Durkin. 
He's doing a good job. Yeah, Syracuse, like, God, you know, you don't want that guy in here. I mean, he's awesome. Durkin uh, or Babers? Uh, Babers, I'm sorry. Babers done a good job. Too. I mean, I'm, yeah, I'm getting my. You got your East Coast schools my, mixed up. My East Coast schools mixed up because I also could forget which school PJ Fleck is at compared to. Uh, Minnesota now. Yeah, because uh, PJ, uh, PJ Fleck and uh, what uh, Brom, I always forget who coaches which school. Yeah, yeah. But both, both those guys scare me, too. For sure. So those are the, you know, that's like five guys that I think from a standpoint of the SEC, you want to see come to the conference because we need some, we need a talent infusion, but you don't want to go to your rivals. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you want them to go east. <sighs> okay. Uh, would LSU call Shea Patterson if Ole Miss gets a two year bowl ban? Uh, I don't think so. Yeah, I think that ship has sailed. Yeah. Uh, I do think Shea Patterson will bounce in a hurry if oh, yeah, sanctions yeah, yeah. come down. But and, and look, you're seeing a lot of guys bounce. All um, who was it from Florida? To, the recruit that their wide receiver recruit just bailed on them today. Oh, he's Jamar not, Chase. Yeah, I mean he's not in the barn, but you know, what yeah. I mean? like. And also, it, it's it's hard to blame a guy for not sticking with a program on probation. Like college careers are short. Yeah. If you want to bounce, bounce. I agree. It's a mess. Uh, Ryan again. Hey, it's a me question. Most important recruit for the LSU this class. I don't know. Um, I <clears throat> guess like a JUCO line or JUCO D line guys. I feel like we need some playable depth th- at those positions. I don't know. I, th- I feel like it's running back. Yeah, he says a running back. I think running back, we don't have a top-end running back. We really need. So the scenario to me is either next year we're going to go heavy by committee, like what, like 2009 or 2011 we did. Yeah. Or Brosette has like a Stephen Ridley type kind of unexpected breakout. Yeah, um, but even Ridley had contributed more than. Yeah, that. Ridley had done more beforehand. It's more like uh, when Ali Brassard got hurt and uh, God, now I can't remember. Stepped up, um, getting all my years confused. Yeah, um, but even that wasn't completely out of. Charles Scott was he in there? No, yeah, Charles Scott was two thousand nine, but like uh, or two thousand eight. But Charles Scott was, you know, a good banger back. Um, you know, nothing special, but, you know, yeah. he kept the lights up. But I don't even think we have, like, a Charles Scott type on the roster right now. So No one that's shown it, at least. I mean, I still have a lot of faith in Brosette's talent, but it's – he's not so shown. And also, I think running back as the position a freshman can really play right away. Yep. So – and – you know, I, you had posted what our potential D-line depth is. It looks like we're going to get D-line depth just when guys – get eligible for next year. Yep. And honestly, offensive line depth is going to look a lot better just because we don't probably not going to lose anybody from this team. Yeah. I'm curious if any of those, I mean, you have clap Brumfield Leathersby. I don't know if Malone is petitioning like Ed Paris will be. Yeah. Uh, but you, I, all of those guys are eligible, but I, do, do any of them leave? Like I could see Weathersby maybe just cause he's been, so injured so often he might just be like screw it i'm gonna go get whatever payday i can get 
Yeah, no, I don't see that's normally such a bad idea. I don't it see really any is. I just don't, I don't see any of the linemen leaving early. So I, and also, I feel like, like Clapp and Brumfield are very um not that other guys aren't, but they're very like LSU guys. Like Clapp's dad is an alum, you know, like they're kind of yeah, yeah, yeah. I think they want to get their degrees and do that sort of thing. Yeah, I I it's it's so rare for a lineman to leave early. It's just normally a bad idea. Yeah. You gotta be pretty special. So I, I don't I don't foresee any of the linemen leaving early, and also these freshmen works. like it becomes a benefit like playing these guys early this year becomes like a an advantage next year that becomes an asset. Yeah, we're gonna have a legitimate two deep. So I, I'm not too concerned about offensive line or defensive line recruiting because I think those things will sort themselves out. I, I think running back and wide receiver are the uh, you know, you'd like to see a special player show up, but then again, I think the most important recruit is certain. Just you, you want the he's he's the best player on the board. That's true, and you want the best. You want to get the best player. He is a stud, and you know, if Tolliver and Jackson leave, our cornerback depth chart doesn't look so deep. Yeah, so he's I think a, one of I think Jackson's gone, but I think Tolliver might come back. He got picked on and he kind of took some shit, but like I credit that to like he's played really well in the recent weeks and Bama did a good job of ISOing quick small guys on a big physical corner. Oh, oh, I think Tolliver's a very good cornerback. I just don't think he's leave early NFL good. The suspension didn't help. Yeah, I, I think he, he Dante, I think, is gone. <laughs> like, yeah. like, I mean, he's just acted like a guy who's gone. But uh, if I was a guy who's in giving advice, I'm a big fan of if you don't get taken in the first two rounds, you didn't really make the NFL. I think the, yeah, I think and, the interesting thing with Tolliver is because he's had – well, he had a total downturn last year where he became a non-factor and he's had disciplinary issues. So as talented as he is, like I think – Doing, he could use the extra. He could use a year as the guy. Yeah, the good faith senior campaign where he's the leader, he's the stud. And honestly, Dante, I think it really benefited from that. Yeah, I mean, because I don't want to say he was a nothing on the team, you know, because he didn't quite have the same discipline problems, but he had kind of been picked on, and his play had kind of drifted. And I think this year he really stepped up as one of the special players on the team for sure. So yeah. I, Dante, go you know, go with God. You know, you have our blessings. But Tolliver, and I'm not saying this because it's what's best for LSU. I think it's actually best for Tolliver to come back for another year because I, I think he can totally he can turn himself way. he can turn himself into a first or second round pick, and he's not right now. Yeah, it'll be interesting. That's it. That's the last question. All right. So long and good night. So, so long and good night. Man, if you're going to rip off, rip off the best. I love that song.